Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome back to the latest episode of Seen Anything Good Lately. On this edition of my cultural chat show, I welcome guests Woody Allen and filmmaker and actress Rachel Griffiths. We'll find out what they've been up to, respectively, a new rom-com out on Blu-ray and a new film called Ride Like a Girl. And I asked them both if they've seen anything good lately. We watched a a 10-part documentary about uh, Michael Jordan. It talks about race, white fragility in a really head-on way. If you're looking for recommendations, you're in the right place. We're all sagglers here, sharing our excitement about what we're watching and listening to and discovering. And a very special gift comes with this edition of Seen Anything Good Lately. I can offer you a Blu-ray of Woody Allen's new movie, A Rainy Day in New York, courtesy of Signature Entertainment, uh, who are putting it out there. It's out now uh, to buy, but you can win one free here. So keep listening to Woody Allen's Seen Anything Good Lately with me, Jason Solomon. Right, before we hear from Woody Allen and Rachel Griffiths, here's what I've seen lately. I'm in awe of the last episode of Dave, the comedy about a Jewish rapper that was on BBC Two. I love the whole series, but the final episode is so original and funny and unusual. It was genius. I can't wait for more of Dave. It feels like it's a a, a series that's just got going. Seek it out, find it on iPlayer and join me for the next one because uh, I need you on board for this. I quite enjoyed Stage Mother, a drag queen comedy starring Jackie Weaver, who goes from being a Texas Baptist church choir minister to San Francisco drag club queen after the death of her sinful and outcast gay son. Watch out for Lucy Liu and Entourage's Adrian Grenier in that too. And musically, I'm very impressed by Zara McFarlane's new album, Songs of an Unknown Tongue, out now on the Brownswood label. Really experimental, yet also fresh and very accessible. And that gorgeous, rich voice is good as ever, but it's also very expressive. It's a great performance from her. Uh, And it explores the folksy roots of African music, Caribbean music, of course. Uh, But it's got a great futuristic production, very synth-led. A great album. Her fourth album, Zara McFarlane's, and definitely her best. And I'm loving the single Black Treasure, too. Right, that's what I'm into. So now let's introduce my first guest on this edition and find out if he's seen anything good lately. Woody Allen needs little introduction. If you need one, buy my book, Woody Allen, film by film shameless or just watch annie hall radio days hannah and her sisters and love and death that should do you his latest film is a rainy day in new york starring timothy chalamet selena gomez l fanning as well as jude law and diego luna but woody's also got a controversial new memoir out apropos of nothing and he's got another film premiering at the san sebastian film festival in september rifkin's festival so busy as ever i caught up with woody to find out about his life in lockdown in his beloved new york and how he's keeping that famous work rate going hello hello is that woody allen Yes. Woody, Alan, it's Jason Solomons here calling from London. Good, hi, I can hear you clearly. Yes, and I'm very honoured. This is your first, I believe this is your first ever FaceTime interview call, so... Uh, uh, is it FaceTime? I think so, yes. You see, you don't even know. This, this, is, this is a milestone in your career, Woody. And, uh, you know, 50 films is nothing. This, this, is, this is your big first. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> so, okay, well. Yeah, exactly. How are you holding up with the virus? Well, thank God I'm fine. All my family is fine. We're well. But, uh, you know, I could do with getting out a bit, you know. I could do with going to see a jazz concert or something or a movie <laughs> or a football yes. match. <laughs> I know. It is terrible. Just terrible. But uh, hopefully the summer will bring some progress and... Uh, we can finally make a little headway to put this thing behind us. I, I hope so, Woody. I hope so. I know it's fine. It must be very difficult for you. You know, you're a man who wants to be making a movie most of the time. If you're not writing one, you want to be making one. And Yes, I would have been scheduled to make a movie. Uh, this summer I was going to go to Paris and make a movie, but uh, all the plans are scuttled now because of, of uh, you know, everything's in a state of limbo or confusion. How does it feel for you? You know, you're such a poet of New York. You think back to your, your opening sequence for Manhattan, the films like Annie Hall. You know, you, you, you put New York on the on the map on the big screen. You made it romantic. You know, you say you, you romanticise it, it all out of proportion in that opening sequence to Manhattan. How do you feel about seeing your city now? What does it look like to you? Well, it's, <laughs> it's terrible. I go out for a walk with my wife every day for, you know, about an hour. And, uh, you know, the streets are starting to be a little more populated now. But for the last couple of months, the streets were virtually empty. The stores were closed. There's no action in Central Park, no action. Uh, and, and when you do see people, they're with masks. And uh, we have masks on. And everybody is walking around defensively. You know, you see someone coming and you prepare to avoid them, to give them a wide berth. They prefer, prepare to avoid you. You know, so it's it's just, it's terrible. It's a, it's just like a bad science fiction movie. It is. I haven't seen you wearing a, a mask since Take the Money and Run, Woody. I don't know what you'd look like with one on. Yes, well, I look the same. It mercifully covers most of my face. I turn to radio days, if I may say, uh, Woody, for, for solace occasionally because it has this wonderful soundtrack, 40 fantastic music pieces from, from Glenn Miller to, to Frank Sinatra to just, just the most gorgeous jazz music in there. I wonder what, what you've been turning to in, the, in, in this time, Woody. Have you seen anything good lately? We watch, uh, my wife and I, generally watch documentaries so so uh you know there have have not been i don't watch television series i've never seen any television series in my life no miniseries or you know just because i i just don't get interested so i i don't denigrate them they may be great but i personally just don't get interested in so that. you've never seen a breaking uh, bad or you've never seen a, no you i've know, never a, seen a mad men or any of these no there's some, no, they're quite good seen, some of them you know Oh yes, I'm sure. I'm sure they're terrific, and I hear only wonderful things about them from my friends. So, so I'm not in any way criticizing them. I'm just saying my personal taste. When I do watch television, let's say there was no pandemic, and I come home from an evening uh, at a restaurant, and then get into bed and watch a little television before I go to sleep, it would be a sporting event. It would be the news. I watch a lot of baseball and basketball. Uh, and when I watch films, it's either some old classic that I get nostalgic about. I'll work, watch Turner Classic uh, movies and I'll be watching, you know, Casablanca or The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Or um, uh, now I watch documentaries a certain amount. Uh, we watched a 10-part documentary 
uh, a week or so ago about uh, Michael Jordan, the great basketball. Oh, the Last player. Dance, yeah, on Netflix. Yeah, there, yeah. and I found it uh, fascinating because I'm a basketball fan, and and you know I I I watch a certain amount of true crime documentaries because they interest me. But uh, essentially, the biggest loss for me uh, on screens is really uh, sporting events. Uh, that 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 was what I watched the most: baseball, football, basketball, tennis, golf. Anything. I'm a big sports fan. I can watch any kind of sport. Timber sports. I can watch two guys soaring a tree down in competition, and um, and enjoy it. Wait, when you say you like the true crime uh, series, what is it about those that that fascinate you? Because crime has always fascinated you. If you think back to you know crimes and misdemeanors, Manhattan murder mystery. You know, it's yeah. something you. Tr- but you treated it more comically sometimes than than. than Seriously. Well, I do. I do usually tend to treat it comically. I mean, crime, you know, was right from my very first film, Take the Money and Run. I was a criminal. Uh, and then in Bananas, my second film, I was uh, an outsider and a rebel and, and being sought after by the police. And a sleeper, I was some kind of alien that was sought after by the police. And I, I identify with uh, the outsider, the criminal, the lawbreaker. Uh, now, it's not something I would do in my real life. I, I, I don't have the nerve to be a criminal, uh, to rob a bank or to knock over an armored car or anything. But uh, on film, you know, I can do that and uh, it's, it's no real risk. And and so I when when I watch things I enjoy watching crimes and and I I did toy as an adolescent with being a um, a private detective, but of course I had a completely unrealistic concept of what a private detective does. I thought they were like you know Humphrey Bogart or William Powell and then they solved crimes, but uh, they don't. They they guard wedding presents at a wedding and they. And they follow people in divorce cases. And, you know, it's a very unglamorous Yeah, I job. think we saw it in Play It Again, Sam. You had a real glamorous view of what the, the what, what, how Bogart would advise you in your, in, your, in, your, in your actions. Yeah, it's very glamorous in the movies. But, uh, and so I, so I watch crime things and I'm fascinated by them. And, and uh, you know, it's sports that I miss. So you, you, you tried to make some documentaries yourself? Given that you love no, the no, I've, I, I, I never, I, I always made documentaries in a comic way. Take the Money and Run was a comic documentary, and of course, Zelig was my my classic one. Mm. I, it, was, it was a documentary. It was it was a style that I did only only satirically, and I, I don't think I would ever make a documentary because I get too much pleasure out of concocting a fictional story. And, and executing it. I mean, your your new film, A Rainy Day in New York, which we're getting here finally in the UK, which is which is great. It gives us something to watch here in lockdown. Uh, it paints a, a beautiful picture of New York under the rain with all those wonderful locations, you know, the Bemelmans, the Carlisle Hotel, which is particular resonance to you, I imagine, and particular resonance now, Woody, because, uh, and my condolences to you, that's where you played every Monday night for, for God knows how many years. Uh, and, and now, obviously, you can't because of lockdown, but also you, um, you, you've lost your band to Eddie Davis, which uh, I was right to the virus. Yeah, and it was it was so you know like a bad dream. Uh, One Monday night in March, I was 
playing there as usual and sitting right to my left, directly to my left, was Eddie Davis, this fabulous banjo player, and we were playing our New Orleans music. And uh, 10 days later, he was gone, vanished from uh, from the planet. And uh, it was a terrible loss, not only as someone personally that I had spent so much time with over the years, but uh, a terrible loss for our band because he was the heart and soul of it. Are you going to be able to get back to playing? Because, I mean, Woody Allen playing jazz is, is part of New York life. It's part of your life. You're always playing. I think we will get back to it. It will take time. Uh, the Carlisle Hotel has been closed because of the virus. I think uh, as time passes and they get more and more control of the virus and perhaps a vaccine or some kind of mitigating drug comes out, they'll open up the Carlisle Hotel where we play and gradually people will feel safe to come and the band will feel safe to mingle with hundreds of people every week. And uh, This, and this, we'll... must, this must be the longest you haven't played a, a, a jazz concert for, I don't know, 50 years or so. Yes, it's the longest I haven't played with other people. I do play in my house with my record player to keep my lip up. But, uh, you know, yes, I miss I miss playing with live musicians. What have you been playing? I've seen you in concert a couple of times. But what, what have you been playing? I'm intrigued at the image of you in your room, in your lonely room, as Cole Porter might have had it. Well, I put on, you know, cl- classic jazz records. I put on, you know, records of Bunk Johnson and Jelly Roll Morton and, and George Lewis and Sidney Bechet. And, you know, and, and I play in with them uh, and. I really do it just because I want to play each day, but also because you know you you need to for your for your lip, or you you lose your lip, and that that's not that's a muscle that needs constant constant uh, revivifying. It's a very delicate day. little muscle, is it not? Like the heart. Uh, it's uh, no, no. The heart's a strong muscle. Now the heart's a great muscle. You get born. A tiny child, a baby, your heart beats and it keeps beating, 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 you know, and barring any terrible thing. Some people for 80 years, 90, 100 years and beats constantly. And that's a good muscle. But the lip, if you don't play for two days, already your lip starts to turn uh, flaccid. How would you have fared, you think, in one of those bands with Bechet or in King Oliver's band? Oh, I would. Uh, I, I'm not good enough to play in those bands. I'm a. I'm a like a weekend tennis player. You know, I would be playing with uh, Federer and Nadal, uh, and I'd be outclassed by a thousand miles. I, I just play as an amateur, and uh, as I say, it's like we get together for a weekly poker game or a weekly tennis match. Uh, so I would never, if I had to earn my living or, or play, I, I've already uh, played above my head with, well, that is with people above my head my my whole adult life. I've played in New Orleans. I've, I've sat in with musicians who were so far, even the ones in my band are so far better than me, but I've sat in with you know, any number of, I've played with famous you played at Preservation Hall. I've played at Preservation Hall and I've, you know, and I've played with, with uh, you know, Kid Thomas. I've played with 
God, I over the years, Ed Garland, uh, Gene Krupa. I mean, you know, I've, I've played with a lot of jazz musicians. That, uh, but um, you know, uh, they, it's it's strictly for fun. I mean, they're they're slumming when yeah. they play with me. Do, do you ever feel? Do, do even you, Woody Allen, feel that one day you'll be found out? Found out as what? Well, I, I could they, be found they, out as many different yes. terrible things. Which one of my awful traits are you thinking of? I don't know. Everyone's got an imposter syndrome somewhere. Like, you know, that you're, that, you know maybe that you're not the great filmmaker, that you're not the great writer, that you're not the great musician. Uh, I think people already know that. I think, uh, you know, I have no pretense of being a great film director, certainly not a great musician, and I'm a better director than a musician, but certainly not great at either. And, um, no, I, I, I've, I'm good enough to make a living and not have having to work like my father driving a taxi cab or waiting on tables. But uh, it's beyond that, you know, I, I make no claims. They did pretty good. I mean, nearly fifty films there, and uh, you know, most of them, most of them are some of my favourites, if I if I have to say. So uh, you know, I think I, I, when I say find out, I don't mean other things. You know, the things that lurk. Now I'm going to go out with playing with some music, William, and you have influenced my musical taste so deeply over 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 your career and uh, over mine. Uh, you've got a lot of Errol Garner in the new film, Rainy Day in New oh, York. Oh, I love Errol Garner. Yeah, you've used him a few times. Yes, many times, because he's a perfect person to use. He's full of spirit and energy and liveliness, and, and uh, he's not a complicated jazz musician, so he doesn't distract in the background. Your, your, your ear is not drawn to distraction. It's, ple- it's pleasured. Did you ever meet him and see him in concert? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, at the height of our cabaret careers, Errol Garner was one of the biggest uh, deals in the country, and I was a very hot comedian. Someone put together a evening of me and Errol Garner together, and um, we had to cancel the tour because they couldn't sell many tickets to it. <laughs> were you playing the piano and he doing the jokes well no no but there was a moment in it where the two of us got together and just for fun i played the piano along with him because i could play one song on the piano and and he played along with me and uh but errol didn't do the jokes no he was not uh he was not prone to uh stand-up comedy but i i did try and play one song on the piano with him and we rehearsed it but it didn't matter because nobody wanted to see us anyhow so well if you you went back i I know you're not going to make a documentary just before you go would you go back to stand-up i know you don't need to go back for this hard work but would you do it there are times when i'm sitting home and i wish I could because it's a wonderful form of expression. Then I think to myself, oh, God, I got to sit and write myself an act. It'll take me months and months. And then I got to break it in someplace. And, you know, it's such an ordeal that I abandon the thought of it. But it is a wonderful form of expression. Do you watch other guys do it now? Uh, I see people say it's hard to avoid it because there's so many of them on television. They're all better than I was when I worked. Well, they all took you. They all took your influence on a bit, you know. Well, they are. You know, there are many very good ones. And I came up in a generation where there were some sensational ones. Mort Saul, Jonathan Winters, Nichols and May. Uh, You know, they were just tremendous stand up comedians. And, um, you know, it was a it was a great generation of comedy. Uh, But when I see 
you know, myself, uh, when I remember what I did and I see the comedians now, you know, they all surpass me. And um, Do you like this? You like Seinfeld? You like Chris Rock is a big fan of yours. Uh, you... uh, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy. I mean, I'm a sucker for stand-up comedy. You know, you could sit me down and, uh, you know, give me a hundred stand-up comics in a row and I'll have a good time listening to all of them. All right, in that case, before I go... You're going to give me one joke before I go. I hate asking a comedian to do jokes. It's like saying to me, do a magic trick. But on the radio, that won't work. So you can do me a joke. All right. As a, a Jewish guy uh, sits down, he goes into a restaurant and he orders a suckling pig. And um, he's a little nervous about it. And, and a half hour later, they bring to his table a suckling pig with an apple in its mouth and it looks delicious. And just as he's about to dig in, his rabbi walks in the door and gives him a very dirty look. And he looks up at the rabbi and he says, uh, I ordered an apple and this is how it came. <laughs> you see, I think you go back. You might sell a few tickets this time, Woody Allen. Uh, a real joy having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Congratulations on a rainy day in New York. Let's go out with some Errol Garner, which features in a rainy day in New York. Woody Allen, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Errol Garner's Will You Still Be Mine from A Rainy Day in New York and I offered you the chance earlier to win a copy of it on Blu-ray sumptuously packaged by Signature Entertainment who are releasing it here in the UK uh, so all you've got to do to win that Blu-ray is email me saggle at jasonsolomons.com and you've got to answer these questions there's one question three answers one question which films are these Woody Allen characters in Fielding Mellish Miles Monroe and Harry Block. That's Fielding Mellish, Miles Monroe and Harry Block, which three Woody Allen films are those characters in. And you can win a Blu-ray of A Rainy Day in New York. The email is saggle at jasonsolomons.com. For my next guest on the show, we go all the way to Australia, where we find Rachel Griffiths, who burst onto the scene alongside Tony Collette in Muriel's Wedding, that raucous, ABBA-obsessed comedy from PJ Hogan in 1994. She joined him in Hollywood for My Best Friend's Wedding and then forged an Oscar-nominated career in British and American films such as Hilary and Jackie, Very Annie Mary, The Rookie, as well as an all-star Australian Ned Kelly with Heath Ledger before an Emmy-nominated TV stint in Six Feet Under and Brothers and Sisters. She's now making her directing debut with a true-life story, Ride Like a Girl, telling the drama of the life of Australian jockey Michelle Payne and her family. You've never had a problem with me riding Prince. Now all of a sudden you want to replace me. Why? Shell, it's nothing personal. We're just trying to give the horse his best chance. I've ridden him in almost every race. I get that horse and, and he gets me. He's mine. The couple's a hard race. You need strength. I'll tell you what you need. You think it's all about strength. It is about so much more than that. 
You need to understand your horse. You need the skill to read the field. And most of all, you need to be patient. And if you all think differently then, well then, you're all a bunch of bloody idiots. I'm joined from Australia by Rachel Griffiths, director of Ride Like a Girl. Congratulations on the film, Rachel. Thank you, Jason. So nice to be talking to you. It's um, uh, great to have you as a director, your first feature film. And what a, what a story you found. Why did you, why did you alight on this story? What made you get up on this horse and ride it? Um, it was just one of those moments. I brought my family back to Australia and I was really kind of hoping to move more into content making and telling Australian stories that I was you know, deeply connected to and I had a few television shows up my sleeve that um, I'd you know been developing and were always about this country and this country's politics culture and history and look I uh, in the back of my mind I was looking I mean I'm, I've become a kind of child of television I guess having worked um, on HBO's seminal series Six Feet Under and then another five years on Brothers and Sisters. And I love television. I think more and more it's a place for compelling, particularly female characters. I think you can spend so much rich time with your characters, like a wonderful show like Normal People that I just um, finished. Yeah, I loved so it too. I wasn't... Oh, it was so good. Um so I, I didn't, you know, I certainly didn't have an idea that, you know, film is a you know, better medium than television. Um, and I had expected maybe to get the kind of television thing going earlier. I love coming of age stories. I think there's a kind of dearth of really great coming of age stories about women. And when I think, you know, when I talk about coming of age stories for women, you know, it's often not in that adolescent moment that coming-of-age boy stories has. I think, you know, we become women, you know, slowly kind of through our early 20s before we, you know, really find our sense of agency. And so I thought if I was doing a first feature, it, you know, would probably be in that space and it would really speak to women. It's interesting that you call it a coming-of-age story because it certainly is that as well. It's about a girl finding her vocation and sticking to it. But it's also what I would call a sports movie as well with that classic sports it art. Is. And I love sports films. I mean, I love, I guess they're like war films for girls. It's, you know, <laughs> films like Bend It Like Beckham and team sports. Um, I just, I'm mad about the elevated stakes that a good sports film, you know, it's like a war film. You care that much that they're going to win. Anyway, I was watching the cup one day. Um, we all take it, you know, national holiday and not a big, hadn't been a big fan of the track when a little bit as a as a, as a wee girl with my father and um i was kind of watching it half dark and i truly didn't know girls were jockeys and i didn't know one was racing and i just you know we're watching the race and i just didn't hear her name until basically she made that move you know which is a big part of our film and she made the move and you could just hear the race caller's excitement Michelle Payne on Prince of Penzance. And I was like, is that girl riding? Those <laughs> girls jockeys. And then within five minutes of her winning the race, I had found out that she lost her mother as a baby. She was one of ten. Her brother, who has Down syndrome, was the strapper of Prince of Penzance. He was there on the day. The horse was 100 to 1. She'd broken, you know, more bones than I've had bumper accidents. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is the great 
Australian sports film. Well, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, hats off to you, jockey hats off to you, uh, Rachel, because I watched it with my kids who are 11 and 9. And I thought, well, they're going to love a sports story because they love their their football and they've watched the Grand National with me here every year. Uh, And they watched it. They were out of their seats. They were crying. They were cheering. It did everything that you wanted it to do on them. So congratulations. Thank you for watching it with, with, you know, younger people. Rachel, you mentioned uh, that you've been watching normal people. Have you seen anything else yeah. good lately? What have you seen that's good lately, Rachel Griffiths? So I'm obsessed with The Good Fight, the spin-off from The Good Wife. I think the showrunners, uh, husband and wife showrunners, are currently the most exciting kind of showrunning team. It talks about race, white fragility in a really head-on way. Fantastic. And I don't know this one at all, so it's great to have a recommendation. Really interesting exploration of democracy of America under Trump. Um, and is is Kerry Washington in, who, who's in it? No, it's not. It's not Kerry Washington. So it's Christine. Is it Bransky? You know. Who oh yeah, Christine Bransky. She's fabulous. Normally, yeah. yeah, fabulous. She's absolutely owns the show, and to see a woman of her age mm. and complexity as an actor you know, holding her own. The African-American actors are, you know, across the board, fantastic powerhouses, multi-Tony, Emmy, award-winning. But the writing is fantastic. And it is really looking at the role of the law in this moment uh, of America. And um, they break into, particularly in the third season, they do wild things that they'll suddenly break into an animation that will explain who Roy Cohen was and what his playbook is or Chinese censorship. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's incredibly playful. She's microdosing mushrooms, so there's all sorts of hallucinations. It is brave. It is so on point for the conversation that is happening around the world. I'm gutted that I... I, mean, I think I watched three seasons in the last week, which... Shows how unemployed I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's a fantastic recommendation, Rachel. Thank you very much for that one. What about in film? I mean, were you studying any? Were there any films that were particular templates for, say, Ride Like a Girl? Did you what you mentioned, Benedict like Beckham? It's a, a wonderful Indian film about a father whose two girls become champion wrestlers. In he's from a very conservative you know, small village. Yes. So those two films, you know, the way that, um, you know, I guess that film's made with it, if she can see it, she can be it kind of spirit. And the impact that Bender, like Beckham, had on, you know, female participation in soccer and other sports was just huge. You know, it really was one of those films that I think changed what girls felt that they could do and yep. achieve. I mean, of course, the roots of it are national velvet, really, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that idea that, you know, films in the 30s and 40s, um, very much British films and um, American films, plucky heroines were really a thing. And I do believe, without sounding like a prude, that... In a way, the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s into the 80s really rolled back the agency that women had on screen. Hmm. But if you go back to, you know, those 30s and 40s films that I grew up watching, those, you know, matinee films on my little black and white television, plucky heroines, you know, they had heart, they had guts, they were resilient, they had to put up with, you know, all sorts of barriers from 
carpet bombings of London to, you know, class and gender divide. I can, I can see you as a little girl. Che- I can see you cheering on Liz Taylor in National Velvet as a, as a little girl going, say, go. And it's just a wonderful, I mean, it just is a wonderful film. Yeah, they were my, they were my models. But at the same time, I've always loved the matinee film and... Look, I could have done a much harder version of this film. I could have done a cooler version, an edgier version, you know, that was more hard-hitting on, you know, the sexual harassment, um, yeah. on, on the, you know, gender violence, on the gender barriers. And I wanted a film where an eight-year-old girl could see it with her 88-year-old grandfather and share that family's journey together. So I, you know... And I, I think it's sad as we're broken into our own little tribes. There's fewer and fewer films that we all come together. I think so too. No, family films are hard. They're hard to program, they're hard to find, they're hard to make, I think, and hard to get made, which is a shame because you'd have thought there's a big audience for them, as you say, across the the generations. You know, look, this is a great film to watch with your multi-generational family. It certainly is, um, yeah. And it's, uh, I think we all need a bit of uplift at the moment, don't we, Jason? Yeah, oh God, and it certainly provides that, I have to say. Are you in touch with um, your your Muriel's wedding gang? I mean, we talked about Bend It Like Beckham, which went on to become a stage musical, very successful as well. And I know that, um, not that I've ever seen it, but I know Muriel did uh, become a stage musical too. I just wondered if you're still involved with it. I saw Tony Collette the other day saying that... Oh, uh, did you? And someone, well, it was, I says the other day, it sounds like, (laughs) but it was probably three months, four months ago, probably. Uh, and she was saying that uh, someone says to her, you're terrible, Muriel, every single day. I I don't get that. I just have this really weird thing, and it's a little bit paranoid, perhaps, is when I just find so often I'm in a supermarket, you know, and I'm troweling the, yeah, the flour and the baking section, and um, ABBA will come on. <laughs> And as I'm walking through with my trolley, everyone starts looking at me while Waterloo or um, Dancing Queen. And I get all these kind of knowing nods from passers-by with their trolley. And I always wonder if, 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 you know, I feel like it's a bit like Truman's show. It's like she's entered, she's in aisle one. Cue music, Dancing Queen. And action. But I just have all these people kind of smiling and nodding at me as they pass me when Abba's playing. And it, it happens, like, with astounding regularity. Unless Abba is just playing all the time in the supermarket because it makes people feel good and they buy more chocolate. I don't know. <laughs> well, probably both. I wonder, if you if you did see Tony and you got back into it, could you do the Waterloo routine just like that or would you need some rehearsal? Well, I went to the opening in Melbourne of the second round of the musical. There was a big party afterwards and, yeah, the Waterloo song came on and I started dancing with the girl who's playing me. And they didn't use that choreography in the musical much, you know, I think they absolutely got that wrong. <laughs> but I started to, and I did, I remembered the whole routine. So I've no doubt that Tony would as well. I'm sure you would. And I'm sure that you're still as limber as you were back then and can do absolutely every bend and stretch, Rachel. Oh, I'm so so limber in COVID. So nice to speak to you. Thank you so much for your recommendation. Congratulations on Ride Like a Girl. Really enjoyed it. And as you say, it will provide a lot of uplift and out of your seat action uh, during lockdown. And congratulations on that. Thank you, Jason. And Ride Like a Girl is out now to view on a host of platforms, including Amazon Prime, Curzon Home Cinema, BFI Player and Sky Store. 
And that's it for another podcast of Seen Nothing Good Lately. Check out the Saggle page on jasonsolomons.com for all the recommendations from my supremely knowledgeable guests and their impeccable tastes. And also, let me know yours. Tell me if you've seen anything good lately. Thanks to Woody Allen and Rachel Griffiths. See you soon with more amazing guests still to come, including filmmaker Mark Cousins, comedian Ian Stone, the rap star Speech from Arrested Development, and White Riot filmmaker Rubika Shah. Can't wait. Thank you.